0: Good morning, church. It's good to see you all. Welcome to our Sunday morning gathering, if you're new. If you're new, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at Resort Temecula alongside Tom. And uh, this is week three of being back together in person after, it was like 385 days of not being able to gather on a Sunday in person. It was all virtual for a while. Uh, although our gospel communities continue to meet, which is what I'm going to be talking about today's gospel community. So, before I get started, if you this is your first Sunday, this is like kind of like week two of a series that's called Reset, and the tagline of that series is basically renewing our devotion to Jesus and His ways. And if you missed the first message, I highly want to encourage you to go back and check it out. Basically, Tom kicked it off with this question that I thought was so helpful to think through. We've been unable to gather in person on Sundays for over a year. We're back now. The world has changed all around us. It's a very different world that we're entering into now than it was when we entered into 2020. And what is it going to The question Tom asked was this. After this difficult year, what kind of church are we going to be moving forward? What kind of disciples are we going to be? The culture around us has tried to disciple us, whether we know it or not. There's narratives that swirl around in the culture that try to form an identity for you and get you to act a certain way. And so disciples, at the end of the day, we are people who are shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by his story, who he is, what he's done, who that makes us to be. And so today we're going to talk about, um, we're going to talk about the main strategy that we have as a church to grow as disciples and how we want to move forward together. So, if you'll join me, I'm going to go ahead and pray real quick, and then I'm going to go ahead and dive into this message on gospel community. I'm going to read some words that were on my heart this morning for this message. This is out of Ephesians. This is the Apostle Paul. He's praying for spiritual power, which is what I'm going to pray for right now. So, if you'll join me. It says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named— I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And this is my favorite part. Now, to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for this opportunity to open up your word and to learn together about the kind of family that you desire us to become, the kind of brothers and sisters you want us to be as we form a new spiritual family with a new identity, a new status and a new future together. Would you empower me and help me today to share really what you've shown me over the last week as I've been chewing on this message and praying through it? And would you open our hearts to receive what you want to say to us? Holy Spirit, I trust you that you're going to personalize this message for every person in this room. So I pray that you would keep us free from distractions and help us to focus on what your spirit is saying through the word about Jesus. And we love you and we thank you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and get started the way I usually do. I'm going to um, ruin a TV show for you. <laughs> Who here has seen The Crown? Okay. Eight or nine of us. So The, uh, the Crown is a Netflix show. It's about the royal family, the Windsors. If you guys may have heard of them. Actually, I think on Friday, if I remember correctly, uh, Prince Philip actually passed away at like 99 years old. So arguably the most famous family in the world, they're royalty, and there's nothing but TV shows, movies, books, like they are just much, much watched, must watch television. Anything they do or say, or don't do or don't say, it's just, it's incredible. It's amazing. I don't know why. It just is. So Netflix did a show called The Crown, and they're they're four seasons in. I'm not going to, I'm just going to focus in on one episode, and I actually don't think I'm going to ruin it for you, but there's one episode that I thought was so interesting, Margaret Thatcher was the prime minister of England at this time, and Margaret Thatcher's son was doing some kind of like rally, some kind of race through Algeria, if I remember correctly, and he went missing. So the prime minister's son disappeared off the map, can't find him. So it causes a crisis, naturally, in England within the leadership of the country, And it was interesting because the way it kind of unfolded, this is, by the way, this is a dramatized show. This isn't like a transcript of what actually happened, so I'm just telling you uh, kind of what this show is portraying, which I think is true to human nature, even if it's not exactly what happened in real life. But basically how it comes up is Margaret Thatcher has a sitting with the queen. So they get together all the time. They'll just sit, you know, with each other and talk business, the business of the country. And what ends up happening is as they're talking business, it ends up kind of being like sitting, you know, getting your hair cut. It's like part confessional, part, you know, uh, psychologist's office. It's just like you start to unpack and start to share. And so Margaret Thatcher, who's like this tough woman, starts crying in, in the queen's office, essentially. And the queen is like, oh, don't worry about it. This happens all the time. And they get to talking, and she's like, my son, my favorite son has gone missing. And the queen is like, she doesn't, internally, she's thinking, favorite son? What is that? And then she brings it, you know, she brings it back and she's, empath- you know, she, she's empathetic and she, she's caring and loving, but she's kind of bothered by this whole idea of like my favorite son has gone missing. And she brings that back to her husband, Philip, who just recently died. And Philip is like, his response was classic. It was like, it, she was sort of asking him like, what is this about a favorite son? And Philip was like, oh, she, she, she's just being honest. You have a favorite son too. She's like, what? What are you talking about? I don't have a favorite child. And so it becomes this game of figuring out who her favorite is. Weird game, because I know this is very painful, uh, especially for some of you. This is your dynamic in your family. But basically what the queen does is she talks to her assistant and she tells her assistant, hey, can you set up four private meetings with my children? Don't let them know that I'm meeting with all of them. And we're going we're gonna to talk it out. We're gonna, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see. Like, I, have, I lack self-awareness a lot of the time, which she actually thought was a credit to her in her role. But she was like, okay, I want to meet with all of my, my children, my, my three sons and daughter, and figure this out. And as she's doing it, she, she was even like, could you add a little note about, like, what they like? I wouldn't want to appear uninformed uh, about my children, which she totally was. But anyway, it's a very broken family, is what I'm trying to say. And the queen starts meeting with her children one by one by one by one. And so you get this window into this family. And I have been thinking about one of these kids all week. And it's Edward, Prince Edward. For some of you guys, this means nothing. For some of you, you already know who he is. Uh, But he's one of the kids in the family. And when we meet him on the show, he's like 17 years old or something. He's like a high school kid for all intents and purposes. He's very young. Like he has braces He's young. But what you, what you take in, what you see is that as he starts to talk to his mom, this kind of picture emerges of this young man. And it's not pretty. Uh, he's, he's entitled. It he becomes very clear. Like he feels entitled. The first thing he asks about, like, are you cutting me off financially? <laughs> That's like the first thing that it's on his mind. Uh, so he feels like entitled to money, which is like a small fortune for a student um, he's, he like leverages his privilege, like crazy. Like he has bad grades, but he's like, I'm getting into Cambridge and I know it. And I don't care. I'm not bothered by that. The fact that I have bad, really bad grades and I'm not a very good student. Uh, he has power and he knows it. He knows that every single door is going to be open for him, no matter what he does. It like does not matter. Any company he wants to work for any branch of the government, anything he wants to do, it's going to be a yes. And his response to it is that he minimizes and makes excuses for his behavior. He kind of covers up his flaws. He justifies it all because, man, we do so much for this country. Don't we, get to, don't, don't we deserve a little something for what, all that we do? And at one point, he even like boasts that he had a classmate sent home for smoking, even though he himself smoked too. He just hadn't gotten caught. So he's got a little bit of a vengeful streak to him as well. And the family, this, this family interaction revealed something to, to him. Well, I shouldn't say that. It reveals something to the audience when you're sitting there watching it. And it's that his uh, view of himself far outseeds his actual character as a human. His view of himself way outcedes, exceeds his character as a human. He thinks more highly of himself than he should, but he doesn't realize just how bad things actually are and he isn't bothered because he can get away with it. And it's probably a bit of both. But there's more though. There's so much more to this interaction. The queen, as the conversation unfolds, she notes, hey, but you've been dealt a rather good hand in life. So the mom's like trying to bring a little bit of truth in to see if 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 she can help bring a little bit of humility to this man, a little bit of self-awareness. And he responds quickly by saying, Yeah, but it's not without his challenges either. The queen asks and and she like discovers as she talks to him that he's actually been regularly like mocked by classmates, spit on. He's been attacked. He's been taunted. And the other kids in school have played like, I can't even repeat some of the things that they did to him. All of a sudden, this like very complex picture emerges of this young man. He's no longer just like an arrogant, privileged kid with a big attitude problem. He's also someone who carries significant pain. And he's been mistreated badly and dishonored by kids who resent him for his pride and are probably jealous of all that he has, all the power and the privilege and all these things. And his mother turns to him with pain in her eyes. She doesn't even say anything. She just You could see the pain. And he's like, don't look at me like that. He's like uncomfortable with like the empathy. And he starts talking about like, I made the starting 11 for the cricket team, which is a sport played in other countries. It looks kind of like baseball, and how he's going to get into Cambridge, even though his grades are really bad. You know, because the school knows the publicity of having a royal on campus would be amazing for admissions. And so, what's the point? Here, you have someone with a royal identity, destined for glory and honor, just by nature of his birth, to rule and to reign. And what you really get when he's around his family, you start to see very clearly. He's someone who's full of pride. Who's full of pain and has no idea who he is, no clue. And then I started thinking, why am I so drawn to this story? It's really, it's not even. It's like a five-minute conversation. I think I've given you every point, literally, of that conversation. But I'm, I'm fascinated by it because it, as I've chewed on it, it resonates. It resonates in a deep way. Just this week, I came to, I've come to the realization, I don't have as accurate a window into my own heart as I think. I don't often see my words, my actions, my motives clearly. And the scriptures say the human heart is deceitful and wicked, and who can know it? And what does that mean? I'm prone to think that I'm way better than I really am, further along than I really am, that I'm more loving, I'm more kind, I'm more peaceable, just, and good than I actually am. So I'm resonating with this young man. How do I know? How do I know all this stuff? I I had this moment this week where I saw like my true self coming out in a kind of like a safe family environment where I brought my guard down. I start talking like the real me. My sharp edges come out. The wounds that I carry are revealed. The strategies that I adopt to feel strong, to like fight off that nagging sense of weakness that I hate that desire to feel competent, adequate, all that was set aside. And for a moment, you just, it was just me, someone who struggles to trust and obey Jesus with my future, with my emotions, with, with everything. I struggle to believe the gospel. And if you're new, the gospel is just the good news about Jesus, who he is, what he's done. And the true me kind of just emerged when this mask kind of came off. And what was left was me in a moment needing help. Needing help. Why do I mention this? Because at one point or another, every single person who can hear my voice, whether you're here, outside, listening on a podcast, you're going to be in that spot. You're going to be in over your head. With your life, with your family, with your work, with your parenting, with your relationships, with your extended family, with your boss, with your neighbors, with your peers, with that person that you don't like, or whatever it is. If you're a disciple, you're going to need what I'm calling like a safe community, a safe group of people that's centered on the gospel. I need a family, and you do too, that can see you at your lowest moments and walk with you through it and point you to Jesus in it. That's what you need. That's what I need. That's what Prince Edward actually needed too. He just didn't have it. We need a safe family that has our back and that has Jesus' heart. I'm going to say that again. We need a safe family that has our back and that has Jesus' heart. A family that can help us remember Jesus' word, think through his ways, and help us to hear the voice of our shepherd calling out to us, beckoning us, come home, come back. We need a family that can help us take our pride and pain all the way back to the cross so that we can be healed and cleansed. Cleansed of our pride and our sin and healed of our pain. That's what gospel community is all about. And every disciple in some form or fashion needs this. A disciple is someone who's learning to enjoy Jesus, obey him, and operate like him. That could be the message in and of itself. But there's a whole lot more. We're going to try to, I'm going to try to unpack this a little bit more. So we're going to look at three things. If you're taking notes, if you're a note taker, you can write down what, what gospel communities, and I might just refer to them as GCs moving forward, what GCs are. It's the first thing. Second thing, what GCs are not. And the third thing, why we have GCs. What GCs are, what GCs are not, and why we have them. So number one, what gospel communities are. You guys with me? Great. Tremendous. We're going to read out of Acts 2, verses 32 to 47. What are gospel communities? Acts 2, 32 to 47, we'll have them up on the slide if you don't have a Bible. So I'm going to go ahead and read this. A little bit of context is important. And I think this is, Tom used these verses as well in the first message, and I think these verses are just going to be really important for us as we reset. We're going to see in these verses the early church, the Apostle Peter, preaching the gospel. He's telling people, here's who Jesus actually is. He's the one the scriptures actually point to. So just as an aside, and I heard this in a message that I was listening to about these verses, the Bible is about... Jesus. Let's try that again. The Bible is about? Jesus. So is it primarily about you? It's not. Does it have major implications for your life? Yes. yes. But Peter preaches this message where it becomes clear that even the story of David is about Jesus. And he starts unpacking the Old Testament through the lens of Christ. So we'll pick up on verse 32. I thought this was a good one to start on because last week was Easter. Easter. So let's start with this. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Jesus died. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. That's the center of the Christian faith. If we don't have that, we're wasting our time. We should be out to brunch, having mimosas, (laughs) doing fun stuff. Not that this isn't fun. I like this. But if Jesus isn't raised, we are the saddest, most gullible, lame people on earth. That's just the truth. And we should, be, we should run out these doors. Like, freedom, you know? It's not real freedom. It's slavery, but it's going to feel like freedom if Jesus actually isn't raised. But he is. God raises Jesus from the dead. We're all eyewitnesses of this. So it's sort of like, this didn't happen in a corner. We all saw this. Peter's talking to people, and there's people right then and there who are hearing these words who, who know this. Verse 33, Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit... He has poured out what you both see and hear. So there's, the Holy Spirit has been poured out. The gift of Jesus living in the human heart has come. <laughs> so now we don't just have Jesus in the flesh, which is amazing. Has anybody ever just had a really rough day and you're like, Jesus, I just want to, yep. There's a few of you. Yep. I just want, who's, who's seen The Chosen? The TV show? Great. Oh, Paul, awesome. I didn't think you liked TV. This is a we can connect on this. <laughs> Terrific. Um, one of the things that I love the most about the chosen is the, the hugs. If you've watched this show, you know what I'm talking about the Jesus hugs, where someone is just like <laughs> they collapse and Jesus just holds them. I don't know why I'm talking about that. <laughs> Somebody here needs that today. (laughs) You just need to know, oh, I know why. Because we no longer just have Jesus in the flesh, but we have a spirit living in us. So now this community is the temple of Jesus Christ. Every single person who believes in him has Jesus living within. I am still stoked about seeing him in person one day. I think it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be life-altering, and it's going to be the fulfillment of a lot of longings and hopes and desires to see him face-to-face. But this is pretty good too, what we have right now, which is Jesus within us. So this promised spirit, this was always God's desire, was to give us his own spirit. So God is really good. Whatever you may think of him, whatever mental image you have of, of God as policeman or, you know, uh, relentless, relentlessly critical judge, like his desire has always been to give us himself. His desire has always been to dwell with us. Just something to chew on. The promised spirit. He's poured out what you see in here because the spirit was poured out and all of a sudden people are speaking in tongues and they're prophesying and amazing things are happening. People are like, these guys are wasted. And it's like, it's nine o'clock in the morning. They're not wasted. You're a fool. This is God coming. This is what's happening. And then it says in verse 34, for it was not David who ascended into the heavens. But he himself says, so David says this, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ and Messiah. When they heard this, verse 37, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Brothers, what should we do? What's happening here? Imagine this. Prince Edward on the show. Again, fictional narrative. Imagine if Prince Edward on the show has a moment of clarity and he's like, oh, that's what I'm really like. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments. You're like, ah, yeah, that's actually what I'm like this is a, this is what I'm actually like moment for these people. Nobody likes those moments that I'm aware of, but they actually lead to life change. They're the most important moments. It's the moment when we get the actual diagnosis of what's, going, what's broken in our bodies. It's painful, it's hard, but until we have that accurate diagnosis, we can't do anything about it. But we don't want to know. Everybody who's put off a whatever doesn't matter everybody who's put off a dental cleaning for a few years it's like Ugh, I don't want to go I don't want to know okay so this is what's happening this is what we're really like I didn't see it before but now it's so clear I've been this is imagine prince edward saying this I've been arrogant and proud I've been self-willed I've lived my way I've done what seems right to me I've been vengeful I've lived according to my own rules and wisdom and I've done it all while indulging the pomp and privilege of membership in this royal family that I belong to. Imagine if a royal person said that. It would be pretty amazing, right? That's what's happening here, effectively. Israel was a kingdom of priests, a royal nation. And they were behaving like Edward. Taking their status in the covenant, the covenant, this royal, gracious identity that God had given them, they've taken it for granted. They behaved like, like Edward. And then they had a moment of like, wait a minute, this is what we're actually like. They were cut to the heart. That's what's happening with these people. Royal sons and daughters of God, their king. They were supposed to be a light to the nation's a blessing to the nations, showing them what life is like under God's good rule. That was Israel's call. In that moment, these like backslidden royals, have sh- they've been shown the truth about themselves, that they've rejected their own king while indulging in all of his benefits, right? And so here we are. We understand our true condition. Broken, fallen, lost. As I heard somebody put it, in that moment, their sin became personal the sin actually became personal. And they realized, I need to be rescued. We need to be rescued. And I'm, I'm camping out on this because it's really important to note that every single one of us has to, at some point in our lives, come to that moment of realization. We have to come to that moment where we realize we're lost, we're broken, and we need to be rescued. There's actually a precursor to becoming a Christian. If you haven't had that, you may want to check just to make sure that you're in the faith. Everybody needs to have that moment of, being, of, of saying, I've gone astray. Sin has taken me captive. And instead of living the royal way, the way I was created, because we were all created to be sons and daughters in God's image, that was our original, that's our original identity, we've become preoccupied with ourselves. We who are royal by birth are royally screwed by the fall. Effectively. Mankind, Israel, you and me—that's what we are. What must we do? Verse thirty-eight. Peter replied, "Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." But the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Which is, these words are amazing. You maybe heard them before, but all who are far off means that this is for the Gentiles. This is for your enemies. Your enemies are not going to become your friends and family. This is radical stuff. The, this is conservatives and progressives coming together around a table, loving each other. Radical stuff. Fox News watchers and CNN lovers. <laughs> this is more important to me. I love you. We don't have to agree, but I love you kind of stuff. And we'll keep going. For the promises for you and for your children, all who are far off, as many as Lord go- our God will call. Which, by the way, I say that to say that the community is not, it's not, well, actually, that's my next point. We'll get to that. But it's not like just people that are like you or people that feel the same way you do about politics. If that's what, what church is, that's not really church. That's not a gospel community. That's something different. That's an affinity group that has religious overtones. Verse 40, with many other strong words, he testified and urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. So imagine us figuring out gospel communities for 3,000 in a day. Somehow they figured it out. What happened? They changed their minds about who they are in the story. We want to truly be a part of this family, is what they're saying, not just outwardly Israelites. Because of our birth, but inwardly because we're new people. So they bowed their knee to their forgiving king, and what they found was a rich welcome into his family. That's what's happening here. So, what did they do? How did they respond to this gracious rescue? 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles, and now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as any had need. They did that voluntarily, but nevertheless, they didn't hold on to their stuff and view it as their own. There was a deep generosity with each other, which makes perfect sense if you have been shown ridiculous generosity from Jesus. So then, you know, they, they, they were together, they met at the temple, they broke bread from house to house, they ate food with joyful and sincere hearts, so within their households they celebrated the Lord's Supper. They remembered Jesus in homes, and that's a huge part of what we do as gospel communities. You may notice if you're new, especially to our church, that um, right now we don't have like communion in the kind of traditional sense here on a, on a Sunday. And actually, Tom will get into this um, in a separate message that he's going to do about Sundays, but. We do them in homes. We do communion in homes. We celebrate the Lord's Supper in homes over meals. That's how they did it in the early days. That was their their celebration, their love feasts. So they ate with food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Boom. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that? Holy Spirit-filled, joyful, joyful, generous church that's not just an event but it's like a people that you belong to who know you and who you're walking the ways of Jesus out together in response to his grace. It's gospel community. What we see in the story is that a new family formed that's devoted to the ways of Jesus. And so in this new family we both come to understand how broken we are on the one hand which is what we saw what I saw on the crown like this broken royal who doesn't know who who he is. And at the same time, in gospel community, we get to find out how loved we are because of Jesus. So quickly, I was thinking about this, and a gospel community is is sort of like this. This is how you enter into gospel community. So if you're new, uh, gospel community is for you. If you're not a part of one, if you have not quite put your faith in Jesus, or if you're just interested, gospel community is for you to learn all of these things, who Jesus is, and be a part of a family. But if you've been a part of a gospel community for a while, I thought this story was helpful because it helps us to remember. It can be easy if you've been in the church for a while to to kind of like take your spot, in a sense, for granted, to just kind of assume, "Ah, like, I belong here. This is, I know the Bible. I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm here to give something because people need what I have. It's very easy to forget. Here's a scenario that I want to read to you very quickly. This is from a book called Life and Community by Dustin Willis. Imagine you are on a beach day with your family. Let's say you're seven years old and you've been, uh, you have been—you drive, I guess from here, it's like 45 minutes or whatever to the beach. So it's like a long, longish drive, certainly longer than uh, if you live in San Diego right by the beach. So it's like on the drive, your brother is, um, let's just say, getting in your face and throwing things at you, grabbing things from you, uh, kicking the back of your chair. You know, just things that brothers do, little brothers do, right? So imagine like, that's the you're annoyed, but you're like, all right, it's fine. We're going to the beach. It's going to be great. And then you get to the beach and you build this beautiful castle with your dad and you spend like an hour on it and it's awesome. And people are like, wow, look at this awesome castle. And brother comes and just knocks it down. And you're like, now you're really annoyed. Some of you know, some of you have probably had that happen before. Your kids have done it. So you're annoyed and dad's like, hey, why don't you just go out? Just go, go swim for a little while. You'll feel better. So you do. You go out and you start to wade into the water. Now imagine that 10 miles offshore, a storm is brewing. And there's a dangerous undertow, actually, in the shallow water along the shore. So the current starts to pull you out into the deep and you don't have the strength to do anything about it. Now you're in over your head. I used that phrase earlier on purpose. Now you're in over your head. A push and pull of, your, of the current just throws your body into a state of panic. And you quickly lose that ability to tell which way is up. And yelling, it's just, it's not doing anything. It's just putting water in your mouth. It's actually more dangerous. And you're starting to feel like, I might drown. And I know some of, actually both of us have almost drowned, my wife and I. So if you've ever been in that spot before, it's like pretty terrifying. You feel like You're drowning. Your muscles cramp up, you're tumbling along the ocean floor with kind of death looming. You're not winning. And then without warning, two very strong hands grab you and pull you up and scoop you out of the dangerous currents. And you wrap your arms around your dad's shoulders as he carries you safely to the beach. And you choke up water, and you're struggling to breathe but slowly, like oxygen is getting back into your lungs. And then your little brother comes and just gives you a big hug and you're crying with them because you're family. You may be annoyed, but as soon as there's a rescue, it puts things into perspective, right? We're family. We're family. No matter what's going on, we're family. And this is what I'm I'm quoting. Spiritually, we were once drowning, but God reached down and saved us, to which our spiritual family members rejoiced. That's what makes a spiritual community, a family That understanding, viewing life through the lens of God's mercy, directs our soul towards an affection that at first seems unreasonable. So gospel communities are communities that are centered on the gospel that create affection as we realize that we've been rescued, that we've been saved even though we don't deserve it. So we worship together as brothers and sisters in view of God's mercies. We sacrifice for one another's for one another in view of God's mercy. We walk in humility towards one another in view of God's mercies. We authentically love one another in view of God's mercies. We hate the evil that hurts others in view of God's mercies. We cling to the good that we see in each other in view of God's mercies. We show affection to one another in view of God's mercies. Is this making sense? Okay. It's that hug after the near drowning. It kind of like, it overshadows everything else. Within community, we sit at a table with others, understanding that death was imminent, but because of God's compassion, we have life. And as we become people who see life as a gift and not something that we're entitled to, we're not entitled to this royal status as image bearers of God, but nevertheless, it's a gift, we're going to start to view people differently through that lens. As we grow deeper into the depths of God's mercies, we're going to discover that our life is also given to us to be given away to others. In other words, the gift of life should not make us me-centric people, self-focused people, but rather others-centric. God's mercy actually gives us the ability to show affection to people that we may not even like. And there's no place for that in our culture, to like people that don't agree with you. It's almost unheard of. But that's what a gospel community is. It's a community that's centered on the gospel. It's a community with people who know you, Whom you know, and you're getting to know, who are committing to walk out the one another's of the New Testament with you. Love one another. Forgive each other. Bear with each other. And it's all done in response to the grace of Jesus. Gospel community. That's my first point, and by far the longest one. Second one will be a lot quicker. What gospel communities are not. What gospel communities are not. Gospel communities are not a midweek Bible study or a program. Although we do study the Bible. And we read the Bible and we have to because it tells us a story about Jesus. But it's not primarily a Bible study or something that you just add on to your life. It's not an add-on. Uh, it's also not a small group. So sometimes in churches, um, there's like groups of 10 to 12 that get together midweek for like eight weeks and then take a break, and then you can kind of go find a new community if this one doesn't quite work for you. We're not, we're not doing that. But we do get together, and there is like seasons for us, but it's something that you're committing to a group of people that you're committing to. It's not an event that you attend. It's actually really helpful to start thinking about the language that we use. We don't go to gospel community. We, we are a gospel community. We go to the Lord's Supper. We go to eat. Just like I all say, uh, I'm going to eat dinner with my family. I wouldn't necessarily say, like, I'm going to family. <laughs> and somebody's like, what? I'm going to family. What do you mean? I'm going to family. What are you doing? <laughs> it's like, no, I go to eat dinner with my family. It's people. My family is people who eat together and delicious food. Uh, never mind, I'm getting too tired now. We're not an affinity group, like I talked about this earlier. It's not just people who are Republican. If you're a Republican, that you hang out with, that you agree with politically. It's not. It's not just progressives that you like that just think the same thing you do. It's not just people who like the same sports you do. It's, they're going to find affinity within any community, which is great, and that's totally fine. And we're not, I'm not anti that. We're not anti that at all. But I'm just letting you know that's not what brings us together. Actually, in the middle of our community is like a big cross that says, this is, this is the truth about you. The political pundits don't get this. You need this. You need to die to be raised to life. And the world needs to be made new, not fixed through policy, although policy is important. And we can disagree on that. Is this making sense? What brings us together? Not affinities. What am I saying? At the end of the day, a gospel community, if you understand what it is, it is not easily replaceable. It is not easily replaceable. If you've, it's easily replaceable for you, then it's time to rethink your commitment to gospel community. Because you need people who know you, who can, you need, you need what Edward needed, like an honest family that can help them help him see what he's really like. I need an honest family who can help me see what I'm really like. You do too. And it's not just so you can know the truth about yourself, but it's so that you can know the truth about Jesus. That's why it's a, it's a community centered on the gospel. And that's why we want to avoid being like advice givers in gospel community. Advice isn't bad. We're going to need it sometimes. And there are times to ask for it. Say, I don't know what to do. What should I do? And then, you know, there's permission for that. But we don't want to, like, throw focus from Jesus by throwing in our ideas about how life works best. Because what we do is we, we want to help people, and it's, it's sincere, and I, and I appreciate it. But oftentimes what advice does is it takes my eyes off of Jesus. What I really need is to believe him, trust him, obey him, enjoy him, experience him. And I need to be reminded of who I am, that I am a royal son, that I'm empowered. The same Holy Spirit that came down on the the early church lives in me, that I'm empowered, that I'm loved. I need to be reminded that I'm being conformed to the image of Jesus, which just means that the life of Jesus is now being worked out in mine, which means that suffering is a part of the game. It means rejection is a part of the game. It means being treated poorly is a part of the game. I need people to remind me of these things, and I'm so grateful for the community that I have that does. And I also need to be reminded of the fact that we are called to forgive each other because Jesus forgave us. I owe my brother and my sister that. Is this making sense? Okay. So sometimes the big thing that I want to just hit on here is that gospel community is not an event. It's not something that you add on to your life. It is the people that you belong to. Christian community. If you're a Christian, you need gospel community. You need that in your life. It's not convenient or comfortable. I like like convenience and comfortable as much as the next guy. Gospel community isn't that. It's actually going to be inconvenient and uncomfortable if you really get into it because we're going to rub each other the wrong way and we're going to need to work through stuff. So even though convenience and comfort are not values necessarily of gospel communities, there are some pretty compelling values that are. Commitment. Courage, compassion, care. I'm going to see how many C words I can come up with. Is this make, is this? Yeah. Okay. Last point. Why we have gospel communities. Why we have gospel communities. It's very simple. It's a strategy for discipleship. It's a strategy for discipleship. So what is a disciple? We have, we have our definition here. You can find a hundred different definitions of this, but ours is that a disciple is someone who's learning to enjoy, obey, and operate like Jesus. Enjoying, obeying, and operating like Jesus. So gospel communities are our primary strategy to help you grow. If that's what you want, this is what we have for you if you want to grow in this. Gospel communities are communities that... Uh, we want to cultivate to reflect our values. So they're connected to the values that we have, which are gospel, the gospel community, on the foundation of the gospel. Family, communities of people that are learning to live like family. Dependence, we're, like, we're learning how to walk in the power of the spirit and not trusting in ourselves or on methods. And with every family, there's sons and daughters that we want to see grow up and then go and start their own households. So there's multiplication, starting new households, which is a part of gospel communities. There's mission. There's a whole reason why we exist, to grow, to grow as and make disciples. And then we want to pursue renewal together. So we want to see families renewed. We want to see marriages renewed. We want to see culture remo- renewed. We want to see the arts renewed and all that, with all of your unique and wonderful gifts that God has given you and opportunities. We want to see the gospel actually permeate every area of life. So we want gospel communities to reflect those values. So if you want to be a part of a gospel community, you're essentially, over the course of time, you're working out a couple of things. Are these the people that I want to follow Jesus with? First thing. Are these the people that I want to follow Jesus with? This community. And then two, do I want to be under the guidance of these pastors? Which at this point is me and Tom. Or whoever the pastors are at the time. And so, gospel communities, they're connected to our vision and our values. Does this make... Is this clear? Great. So I want to just quickly, I want to end with this. I want to encourage you guys to think about gospel communities like families. And I was thinking about my family specifically. And we, Heather and I are mom and dad, and we have kids. And one of the things that we do is that we are constantly and continuously seeking to help them grow into maturity, so there, there are times when we're working on conflict. Actually, we're always working on conflict. It's like, it's our, we see it as our responsibility to help them become peacemakers, help them understand what's going on in your heart right now when there's conflict. What is it that you want? How has is, how is Jesus treated you? How do you think he wants you to respond in this situation? There's like a sense of like, we want them to really learn these things as disciples, to learn how to do conflict we want them to learn how to be generous and share. We want them to learn how to be inclusive of other people. We want them to learn all kinds of things. And we, we're doing that in the, in the context of a safe family. And we're learning. We're learning together how to be safe and how to make sure that we're not... how, we're, how to make sure that we're safe parents. Sometimes our kids lead like a very loving no. Uh, that happened recently. One of my kids was like, Hey! Hey! I want to learn how to light matches. And I was like, okay. You want to see our house light on fire? Um, I didn't say it like that, but like they, they're going to need loving no's a lot. And it's the same way in a spiritual family. We're going to need loving no's. We're going to need parents who teach us self-control over our impulses and bodies. We're going to need peers that we work stuff out with. We're going to need so, so much. Kids are going to need families to help them process their pain and sorrow, to show them grace, to, you you know, I can go on and on. Kids need families to grow into maturity and health. In spiritual children, disciples are no different. So GCs, they exist so that we'll grow as disciples into a healthy family. So one last thing I want to mention, which I think is just kind of a fun aside before we close out, is that the New Testament who's it usually written to? Christians. And it's usually written to, a lot of times it's written to like little house churches, like a series of house churches. So they're like little gospel, they're like letters to gospel communities, which I think is phenomenal because what that means is when you start to read the New Testament, it starts to pop. And you start to see like, oh, this is happening right now in our community. Oh, this is like, This is really on point for where we're at at the moment, whether whether it's celebration or pain. Guys, that's a sign that this is real Christianity. When you suffer and there's conflict and there's pain and God's calling you to work through it, it's a sign of real Christianity. And then when there's moments of celebration, like what we had last week with baptisms, it's real Christianity. We're celebrating with those who are celebrating and we're mourning with those who are mourning and we're figuring out how to be God's new family that has a new identity and a new status in this world. It's amazing. And I want to, I'll call the band back up. Oh yeah, I got to wrap up. The last thing I want to say before we go in and, and, and close out with worship is that royal sons and daughters need to experience the reality of our king. Because he ties everything together. So you and I, like we are God's royal family. If you've put your faith in Jesus, that's what's true of you. No matter what, what you, what's happened to you, no matter what you believe about yourself, that's what's true. But we need a community of people that can help us to remember that and actually believe it. Can you imagine what would have happened in Edward's life If somebody had read him Philippians, where it talks about how Jesus, even though he was equal with God, a king over creation laid aside his rights in order to become a servant. What does that do to conceit and pride? How does that bring freedom and joy to someone to actually step into their royal calling? And I just want you guys to know that as a family, that's what we want to do for each other. We want to actually call out what's real about our identity as followers of Jesus. And you guys get to do that with each other. And there's a sense in which Tom and I, like we do this on Sunday and we help coach gospel communities, but you guys are the church and you guys have a clearer window into each other's lives than even we do. But you guys have a a chance to actually make constant gospel deposits into people's lives that will lead to riches spiritually. So I want to encourage you to stand up if you're able. I am going to close with, this, with just this thought. Gospel communities exist so that lost sons and daughters beat down by life and the effects of their own sin and the, and the sin of others can find their way home into the Father's kingdom. Discover who they really are and find cleansing and healing for their souls. That's what gospel communities exist for. These rescued sons and daughters can become a family. So I just want to ask you the question like is there pride and pain or pain in your life that you feel like God is highlighting to you that he wants to work through that he wants to heal or he wants to cleanse gospel community is such a safe place, this community we want it to be a safe place to actually begin to unpack that with others so that you can become who you were made to be so we love you church, enjoy worshiping him, Tom will be up here in a few minutes to close us out
1: worshiping, I just feel like, listen, we always want to be people who are taking our cues from the Lord, we want to be dependent people on the Spirit, who are walking in step with the Spirit. Um, I'm going to ask you to stand back up in a bit, but I want you to sit down for just a moment, just, just track with me, stay with me for a moment, okay? You guys with me? Are we okay? Great. Um. If you were to assess your life, not somebody else, you, you giving a self-assessment just on how things are going, like just take a moment and just get a pulse, please. I can't handle it if we're just people who kind of like go through motions in life. It's not what we are created for. So just take a moment, 10 seconds. Okay, where you at? Eric, that was profound, bro honor you. Thank you. I feel inspired to give more of my life to Jesus, to His Lordship. We just got done singing, you are the Lord. We're singing this back to Him as the Lord of our life. Okay? In regards to walking in step with Him as the Lord, not to try to earn something from Him. You know, Christianity, is that's not how it works. How are you doing? My, my question I'm asking, how's your discipleship going? Like following him. Your creator, the lover of your soul. Not the tyrant judge, like Herrick said, but the one who knows every single thing about you and adores you. And he proved it. There's holes in his hands saying, check how much I love you. Self-assessment, where are you at? There's no wrong answer, by the way. And just track with me. Do we have any A, A-plus disciples? If that's you, raise your hand for me. I'm not going to pick you out. I'm not going to make you say anything. Any A-plus? Love it, Addy. It's probably true. It's biblical, actually. Any A-plus disciples? Maybe some A-minus disciples. Any, any B, if you're going to give yourself a grade, a B disciple? C disciples. No C disciples. Any D disciples? You guys are being too kind of humble. I feel like right now, like no one's. Everyone's afraid to raise their hand. So no D disciples. Going once. Going twice. <laughs> okay, yeah. Any D or above disciples? Any F disciples? No weak sauce hands, guys. Come on, like let's just be adults. Give me any F disciples. This is your self-assessment. This isn't me. And who didn't raise their hand? A lot of people. So does that mean you're like not even on the spectrum? Is that what we're saying here? Okay. What's your plan, man? Your self-assessment, the vast majority of the room, gave yourself an F. Think about that for a second. Listen to me. If you're in Christ, you know what that means? That means Jesus Christ is your righteousness. Which means you're not an F disciple. Because your record is not your record, it's you receive his record in your place, it's the grace, it's the gospel and that's what motivates you to have to live with him as Lord to learn how to enjoy him, obey him and operate like him as a disciple the motivation's not the grade, the grade's already got for you so listen to me, can we stop right now not being gospel people and stop gra- I'm an F disciple you're thinking wrong But you need to be transformed by the renewal of your mind and receive God's word. Receive it. That's what we all need to learn to do. That's what discipleship is. You can't do it by yourself. I'm going to ask you to stand again if you're able. So listen, if you're a disciple of Jesus and you want to grow as a disciple of Jesus and develop as a disciple of Jesus, what is your plan? You don't have to, like, you, Herrick doesn't need to be your pastor. I don't need to be your pastor. This doesn't need to be your people. That's okay. There's, there's amazing, wonderful, incredible Bible-preaching churches all around the world, guys. God's moving everywhere. For God so loved the world. He loves all tribes, all tongues, all nations. So it doesn't have to be here, but what's your plan for discipleship? Listen to me. The lordship of Jesus is the greatest thing ever. Him telling you, or him giving you instructions on how to live is the greatest thing ever. That was his message. He said, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. His rule, his reign, his lordship. And the result of his rule, his reign, his lordship is human flourishing. That's the invitation. What's your plan? Or do you want to be a person who just kind of coasts through life and misses out on all the beauty and the depth and the power? You have a purpose that he created you for. I love Herrick's illustration of the, you know, was it Prince? I don't follow this stuff. Prince Edward. That's my life story, man. Missing out on the true privilege that's available to me. The freedom. That's what he purchased for you. That's what he invites you into. Listen, you don't have to give yourself the gospel community to grow as a disciple, but what's your plan if you're not going to? Because I don't want you to miss out. So can we praise him together? Ben, we guys keep leading us. We have a little more time. Can we just just cry out to him? If you're afraid, why don't you cry out to him? Oh man, there's a ton of crap in my life. If if people found out about it, I might be rejected. Okay, like, why don't, you, why don't you bring that to him and see what he does with it? If you're inspired, God, give me the faith to continue step by step to walk and share my life with people. Can we do this together? Can we be one voice? Can we be the people of God in his presence? What if, like we said this morning, right? Can we not live like Prince Edward, but can we live like royal sons and daughters? Can we do that? So Jesus offers us.